Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Chewie. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. speak might not make you intelligent but we're gonna try to prove otherwise this is the clashing sabers podcast my name is brandon and i am here with my co-host he was a skywalker before it was cool ladies and gentlemen it is i think that's for me but i'm not really sure yeah yeah, did did he just call you like a chiss child i'm not sure what he maybe i don't know i don't know wait what (laughs) <laughs> Defend What's yourself, going? Brandon. What have I, just, I walked into? I just make this stuff up. I just kind of write whatever comes into my head down and just see what happens. Well, also, I think this is the earliest in the in a podcast recording ever that we have teamed up against Brandon. Normally, we <laughs> wait until after the intro. <laughs> Do you? Do you? Some of us come preloaded to start fights. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to tell you who. <laughs> I'm not saying who. I'm not calling names out. <clears throat> yeah. Well, guys, hey, it's me. Is here. You heard her voice. She is as amazing as Snoke riding a charhound to go smack General Hux like a rabid cur. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Lindsay. See, that one's nice because it's both cool and makes sense. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Snoke riding a charhound makes sense to you? This is... This is the level we're starting this podcast out on. All right. I, I miss Mark already. <laughs> <laughs> he brings so much class to the podcast that uh, he really does. He's the only <laughs> adult among us. Why does he hang out with us? I still haven't figured that out. <laughs> I guess we have to funny. teach him thing like what we have to teach him like what YOLO means and things like that. That's what he keeps <laughs> us around for. So he can stay hip and relevant on the Twitter bot. <laughs> Okay, if anybody's hey been relevant on the Twitter bot, it's Mark, I, not us. I do miss you in legitimacy. All right, guys. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about the baddies in Star Wars by debating which organization is the evilest, which I am not going to lie, I did not think was a real word until I started working on this episode. And I looked it up and I was like, wow, that's actually a word. Um, but before we get into that, we have... Um, some books uh, for teachers, you know, because we do the thing where we send books to teachers through our nonprofit. Hooray. Um, and I actually have a lot of books uh, left over that we I was able to get my hands on uh, through some trips that I went on and, and visiting some other uh, used bookstores. So with schools starting back up in a few weeks and uh, a lot of schools reopening for in-person learning for the first time, um, this is the time to to send some literary love their way. So if you know a great teacher who should get a care package of awesome Star Wars books and other goodies, please make sure you go over to ClashingSabers.net and uh, submit a nomination over there. If you don't know a teacher but you still want to support us, our Patreon link is available on our site and also right in the show notes to the episode you're listening to. Um, so make sure you check that out. Uh, we really want to support the start of this new year and um there's a lot of concern i can say from the academic uh field of the the 
educational losses that we've taken over the the last year uh, and almost two years now that's been affected by COVID and everything. And so anything we can do to help inspire kids and teachers and show them that uh, we all have their back is going to be something that's that's super uh, helpful and inspiring and can make a real difference in in a classroom and in a school. So please make sure you go over and do those nominations uh, over there. So with that taken care of, let's get into the good stuff. Drew, what are yes. you doing Star Warsing lately? Um, well, I've been trying to read through the latest of the New Republic book. It's pretty good so far, The Rising Storm. Um, this is kind of the next step in the saga. Is, this isn't the beginning of phase two, though, is it? We're still in the mid- midst of phase one. Does that sound Yeah, right? we're still in phase one. Okay. So I didn't really know. I don't know anything that's... Didn't have any expectations for this. I really don't know what it was about. I haven't read any synopsis, or and I've stayed away from reviews and kind of spoiler accounts on it and whatnot, and have not been keeping up with the comics, but I presume the two of you both are reading this book now, too? Yeah, yeah. I'm on to, um, what's that other one? The Justina Ireland one now. Uh, is that Crash Point something something? No. Uh, Out of the Darkness courage. something? No. The Test of Courage has already been released. Right. Test of Courage is the Justina Ireland one. And then Crash Point Tower is the Daniel Hose. She has an, it's out of the shadows. There we go. Oh, oh wow. nice. Well done. Yeah. We're so professional in this. <laughs> the other thing that I got was uh, they re-released a, the, the, a couple of the Legends novels in, in new packaging. And I wasn't going to get any of them until I, rec- I saw that they were going to do the entire Thrawn trilogy. And I really liked the art for the covers, so I bought the first one in preparation of buying the second and third one. I haven't read these books probably in 20 years. So I'm really interested to see what it looks like in this far back in the rearview mirror. When so much has happened in the interim from when these books were first released uh, up until now, I, I think it's going to be kind of fascinating to to go back and revisit some of these things that spawned a lot of the love and interest in the saga to begin with. Like, if we didn't have that series of books, we would never have even gotten the prequels because there wasn't enough interest in it outside of these things. So I'm kind of interested to see how it stands up from a storytelling perspective. Um, do the characters kind of hold up in, in the same estimations and the steam, or is this going to fall flat? And is it just, uh, you know, I know you two are not super hot on the new Thrawn books. So I'm, I'm wondering, uh, is this more of the same? And we just kind of really enjoyed it because it was all that we had, or is this truly something special and a product of its time? So that's going to be a fun one to come back to in a couple of weeks. I'm excited yeah. about it. The, I think uh, just a couple weeks ago uh, was the 30th anniversary of the actual release of Heir to the Empire. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Heir to the Empire is an interesting thing for me. And I don't want to like taint like your, your reread of it too much. But I do think it kind of falls into that, uh, that gray area of where the story's okay everything's fine with it but it gets a lot of leeway because it was so important to the history of star wars so it doesn't undergo so much as much critique whereas like i will openly admit like i give attack of the clones a little bit of grace because it was at a time in my star wars life that i was really getting into the lore and the mythology and everything like that so when i watch attack of the clones i have the that special attachment to it that I'm willing to forgive some of the less than stellar uh, story points that go on there. <laughs> you know, 
And I, I think I, like I think heir to the super empire. generous characterization of that is is, <laughs> is admirable. I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of the way in which you approach that because I I'm afraid that I kind of have the same approach to it. Like all those things that I remember reading in high school, um, and the books that I have in boxes that I can't wait to get free once I have my office room back, and have them back out on their shelves where they belong. Um, I. I'm not blind to the fact that they are probably not as good as I remember, but I'm at least want to give them all a try to see if there's anything still of, if not equal value, maybe just of different value. It's definitely, I will say it is definitely, if you're, you're reading it for that kind of perspective for looking at what did it set up for the future of star Wars? How is it similar to what we have now? You know, all of that kind of stuff. I do think it's very much worth reading through that lens. Um, mm-hmm. I think just overall, like storytelling wise, it gets weaker as the trilogy goes on. I'm not a big fan of the final book of uh, Last, Last Command. Command. Yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of, in my opinion, it's a weak ending there with the the clone Luke and everything like that. Uh, whereas <laughs> whatever, you're a weak ending. <laughs> Uh, but but like heir to the empire as a standalone book, I think is it's it does still hold up as extremely well done and very strong in its storytelling and its introduction of characters and its development of characters we already know. Um, but I almost wonder if maybe doing a duology or just a, a little bit longer just single book would have been more effective for the story itself. Like I get the trilogy idea and everything that that has to do with star Wars and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and why they went that route. But just in terms of storytelling, you know, I think there is a Thrawn duology though. I don't know if you've seen those ones. Yeah. uh, They're not great. (laughs) I do. I do have that. So actually I was organizing my books and, and putting the legends book in, in timeline order so I could figure out what gaps I had. Um, in terms of because I, I do want to own all of them, um, even if I don't read all of them, <laughs> just to have all of them um, oh, you know, sure, on a sure, shelf sure. and everything. And so I do have those on there or sitting on my shelf that I haven't gotten to yet um, because I am as much as possible trying to go through uh, in timeline order. Uh, reading the Legends books so I can kind of keep up with the story a little bit easier. But they keep coming Ooh. out with all these new things. Oof really a hard life you kind of want him to stop for a little bit don't you not at all <laughs> not even a little bit we got a lot of work to do before september because that's when visions comes out and then you just won't hear from me for a while as i consume that frame by frame i'm looking forward to visions more than really anything else in the star wars universe at this moment i feel be like you've been so looking good. forward to visions more you, than you've ever looked forward to anything oh, yeah ever since they ever since they like announced it yeah that's kind I of know. been your thing S- I'm so excited. I just want to inject it straight into my veins. It's going to be great. And now that we finally got a little bit more information behind it, like we've got, you know, creators, we've got some visuals to go along with it. We've got a general idea of what to expect. And it's, I think it's all dropping on one day. So it's just, Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to see if I can, I was thinking about me trying to find like official confirmation, but Wikipedia has all the entries, like all the titles for the different episodes and whatnot, all with the same air date. So to me, it would oh. indicate that everything drops at the same time, which could be good, could be bad, because if I was going to do that, I would. Does it have like that. episode length? No, and that's exactly what I was getting to. Is like this yeah. makes me concerned that there could be like five to fifteen minutes long. Um, 
Do you guys remember was- the Animatrix from like 137 years ago? No. I remember that it exists. I never watched it. Ugh. Okay, well, gather around the fire, children, and let me tell you the tale. <laughs> the Animatrix was a, a, an anthology series of, of similar kind of things where they let other creators play in the Matrix world, telling all these stories, some uh, that ran alongside of the film, some that gave a little bit more history into the world. And if you haven't seen it, some of it's good and some of it's not great. Um, but they weren't the longest entries either. The same kind of thing where most of them were shorter, 5, 10, 15. I think two parts were closer to half an hour each where they talk about the fall of man and the rise of the machines. Not the Terminator 3 movie, um, but the way in which the Matrix came to be. Which if you haven't seen those, it's worth the admission price for that, that's, that story alone. Available now at your local Blockbuster and West Coast video. <laughs> Do you get kickbacks for it? I'm sorry, say again? Do you get kickbacks? Like if I go and I'm like, oh, True Brett referred me. I need to go watch this. Do you get yeah, abs- five cents or absolutely. something? You, yeah, you'll get, you, you'll get the employee discount, which I had at the time that I worked for one of those <laughs> two companies. Uh, see, I would say that it's very unlikely that they're dropping all of Visions at one time because they're not doing that with really any of their Disney Plus series. Like even the... Um, more like kid-like series, like the non-Marvel, just the Disney Plus originals and stuff, those are releasing one week at a time. Yeah. So, like, I was looking at um, the Benedict Society, and I was looking to see how many episodes of that were out because it looked kind of like something that could be a little bit fun to watch, and they're releasing week by week, and that's only, like, you know, a minor thing that I haven't even seen any promotion around. So I would say... The the new format is not going to be full drops anymore. I, th- I think they're going to be doing one week, maybe even with something like Visions, one every other week to kind of like really let it sit sit and sink and, and stuff like that. I mean, I, I we we will have to wait and see, but I think if we do a little Google searching at the same time, you might. I've seen a couple of places that do state they're expected to drop all on the same day, September twenty second, two thousand twenty one. So we'll see. It's, it's kind of one of those we'll wait and see. It's not worth really stressing over right now because <laughs> I can't. We're going to wait anyway. And besides, if they're going to do anything different, like if they're going to approach any particular project different from the way they, in which they do others, this would probably be the one. Like there's nothing in the canon to date that is going to match this kind of differentiation from the rest of the saga. So this one's going to stand out like a sore, thru- th- sto- sore thumb. And I think if they embrace that and do everything they can to make it as different as possible, it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. So check I, back in on September 23rd. <laughs> and maybe September 30th and so on and so forth. Um, <sighs> but I, I did hear an interesting perspective. Uh, I'm trying to remember what show it was on I was listening to. But how Star Wars has always struggled in the Chinese market and that this might be an attempt to kind of uh, draw those viewers in um, to the story and help them to connect to the story. So I'll be interested to see how Visions affects Star Wars influence outside of the United States and and especially in countries like, you know, China and other Asian countries where it, I mean, notoriously hasn't done well. Like going back to like The Force Awakens premiere, like it tanked when it went to uh, Chinese release, and so that'd be that would be really cool if we're getting that where 
it's not only developing the next, you know, a, a new phase of Star Wars, a new angle of Star Wars in, in anime, but also bringing in new creators um, from from you know Asian culture, which yeah, I know Drew, you're anime, you're a big fan of of that, and then you, me growing up with martial arts, I'm big into that and stuff like that. So that's one thing that I I hope does come out of this is is bringing in that new perspective to Star Wars because I think that that's one uh, one area of the world where it hasn't quite touched that it could um, that they could that culture could bring a lot to um, influence the future of Star yeah. Wars. Well, and it's kind of coming full circle as as much of, of Akira Kurosawa's work mm. influenced you know Lucas and everybody in that studio in, in the seventies and whatnot. So bringing it back to uh, maybe where its roots lie a little deeper, I, I think is going to be really a lot of fun. And there was a celebration in Tokyo one year. Mm, can't tell you what year that would have been, but I I think that it's going to be. Hopefully, if this works out well, it could springboard into a lot of additional work like this. You know, we've got the Ronin novel, which is coming out, which, Brandon, I swear, if you send me any more information about it, spoiling <laughs> what's coming, I'm going to reach through the phone and smack you. Oh, no, so trust me. I'm not even looking at anything else that's coming out about it. I am so pumped Good. for that. We, we cannot do this because, again, we have to make sure these things succeed, <laughs> especially yeah. if we want more in the future. Yeah, I'm very, very excited for that uh, book. And, and again, that's one where it has the potential to, okay, if Visions does well and the book does well, do we get more series? Do we get, uh, you know, shorts? Do we get more books? All of this kind of stuff. I'm yeah, very excited for. Lindsay, so what about you? What have you been, uh, what have you been Star Warsing? So... Oddly enough, it's it's interesting to hear you guys talk about visions in this way, um, because I mean, for for starters, going back to High Republic, yeah, I've obviously been getting really into those, and I'm enjoying them way more than I anticipated. Um, really? And I I, th- I thought I was going to like it, but I mean, like, I really like these. Um, so I've been taking my time with them a little bit more than I probably typically would, and just kind of letting my mind wander. When it comes to visions and and some of the other stuff coming out, I am changing my approach and I'm trying to go in blind as much as possible. I'm not taking the Brandon going into a movie approach and turning everything off and and making sure I avoid at all costs. But I sat down to really start the panel and dive into everything. But my, my, my thing was, I'm not necessarily an anime fan. You know, I'm not a big fan of this kind of animation, this kind of storytelling. And I don't want to watch this and feel like I have all the information and not be hyped for it because of that. The way you're talking about using the animation to break into new markets for Star Wars, I'm hoping it has the reverse effect on me. And Mm. because it's Star Wars, it helps me break into anime and this kind of storytelling. Um, just because, you know, I've, I've watched some, some stuff before I've read some stuff before and it's just not my preferred method and I just never really got into it, but I would like to, I really would like to. So I'm hoping that this kind of amps me up for it. And what I've been realizing is as I've been watching the Marvel shows, you know, I've gotten really into Loki. I loved WandaVision and I went into those blind and I'm enjoying it so much. So I'm hoping I can go into this blind and really enjoy it. Not just for star wars but for the anime aspect of it that's awesome yeah i i I hope that it does because if if 
there's something in these that you you enjoy and latch onto. Each of these studios that is attached to the different episodes within Visions has a pretty healthy uh, resume, especially one of the groups, um, Production IG, whose episode is going to be called The Ninth Jedi. Beyond that, I really don't have any other information because I'm afraid to scroll down too far. The list of stuff that studio has worked on in the past mm, 40 years is just some of the best stuff out there. It's like some, I'm not going to read off some of the, the names because they're not going to mean anything to you guys here. But for, for some of you people that might be more familiar with this side of things, it's the same group that brought us all this, the the uh, Ghost in the Shell series and movies. They worked on FLCL back in 2000, 2001. They partnered with Gainex to do some of um, the Neon Genesis Evangelion movies. Like the good ones, the end, and, like the death and rebirth movies. So for the four people out there who know what that means, that's going to be, you know, that last episode is probably going to be one of the best. Um, I have high expectations for that last episode. Well, I think now is the time to kind of capitalize on it because anime is right at that point from my observations, just, you know, like I, I get a little bit of a pulse of, you know, what the youth is into because whatever... <laughs> No, no, no. What not when you, not when you say it like the that. Youth is into. Okay, I'm old. Whatever. But God, this is why that... you can't teach Mark things. <laughs> I hate you. I both. think he just quit. I think he I just did. quits. Right? <laughs> I did. Okay. End recording. Also, but no. What the youth is into? <laughs> Crack open those energy drinks, folks. <laughs> okay, calm down. <laughs> We're getting too inside baseball here. Uh, but a lot of kids, are, uh, anime is making a more or less of a comeback of where it's not quite at the pop culture level that Star Wars and Marvel and things are at where everybody's going to see these things. But it's also not like the super niche thing that it was, you know, even like when we were growing up now it's like right in that middle area of where it's not pop culture to where it's not everybody's reading it not everybody's watching it but anywhere you go there's going to be a good portion of people watching it so i think you're going to also bring in that audience that maybe hasn't gotten into star wars but likes anime um and realizes you know that star wars fits into those kind of narratives that they like and those kind of stories that they like even though it's you know more popular culture and and not something that's a as niche as Star Wars used to be. That's a pretty fair assessment for what the youth are into at the moment. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, I'm still getting past that to really process anything that happened after. <laughs> All right, well, you want to know what I'm into right now? What the old I don't know, man. Into? I'm a little afraid. <laughs> after that, I'm really not sure. <laughs> have like, you guys sorry, heard no. of these? Po- have you heard of these Pokemon cards yet? They're pretty They're all like, the I, Dude, Digimon is where it's at. Calm down. If you ever right? say the phrase Digimon again. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to cancel my <laughs> subscription the to the Patreon. <laughs> I am just going to scroll through my Zoom real quick and find a song <laughs> to show my despair towards you. Um, no, I really loved Race to Crash Point Tower. Um, I actually read that book before I started uh, Rising Storm because... I have said on here many a times that I have not had a Daniel Jose older book that I liked yet, uh, but that it also excited me because and and I wanted him to continue to be a part of Star Wars, not just because he's a great author and and completely has I mean he's 
paid his dues and proven himself, you know, as far as being an author goes, but because he did things differently, because he didn't just do the same old thing and he took risks in how he told stories and things like that. And we have finally reached the point where I have a Daniel Jose older book that I like and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> wow. No, I, I think it's really important for us to have stories in these in Star Wars that we don't necessarily like because that means it's reaching out to other people there are some people whose last shot is their favorite book whereas for me that type of narrative didn't work whereas now get into crash point tower and you have daniel jose older more exploring the force and stuff and his ideas on balance and things like that and it it's it's mind-blowing like i literally had to put the book down i was like this is exactly what i've thought balance was about the whole time and he just wow. put it as eloquently as you possibly could um, and again, like I knew he was eventually going to do something like that, that hit for me because he is so good at what he does. He's, he's one of the best authors on the market today. He, like, he's not just brought in, you know, f just for, for no reason or, you know, because he gets along with everybody. Like he's really good at what he does. Just what he had been doing hadn't been my jam until this point, but Crash Point Tower really hit for me and if you are sleeping on these junior novels uh these these middle grade novels the justina ireland test of courage and now this one they are up on my list of amazing books and how they get into uh defining the jedi uh the different perspectives of the jedi the different looks at the force and balance and things like that guys do not sleep on these books even if you're saying, oh, they're just a you know middle grade novel and I don't really need them. Sure, you don't really need them, but you're definitely <laughs> missing something if you're not reading them or listening to them because they're absolutely fantastic. So shout out to Daniel Jose Older for uh, a fantastic book. And I am I'm very happy that I because I have been waiting. I knew this was going to come where I would eventually like one of his books because he is such an excellent author and uh, i'm glad that i have this one in my arsenal of books that i am definitely going to reread i love the juxtaposition of these statements <laughs> i love you to death <laughs> he's a, he's a great author i'm so happy i finally like it <laughs> i mean it, it 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 is a weird thing it's like it's it's that duality no no, no of, i get i get it but Mace you and Windy. i yeah, no, you and I talk about him all the time over on Don't Burn the Sacred Text because we always say, you know, he, he finds these great voices, he's he tries these different styles, and it's not that that doesn't work, it's just he's kind of never been given the good stuff in Star Wars. It's kind of the stories mm. that no one really cared about. It's characters we're already really attached to, so it's hard to mimic them. And so, so I definitely get what you're saying and you've certainly been consistent with it because you have always said that what he does would work in anything outside of Star Wars. So it's nice that he finally gets this original ground to play around in. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this because I think if he can do what he did, it, it just like the whole book's good. And all the characters are great. And but just the, the three or four pages about balance just one of the best things I've read in Star Wars of late. And if he can do that on a, a middle grade novel where, you know, you don't have a lot of pages and you've got big type, imagine what he can do once he's given a novel, a, a full, you know, novel. And I'm hoping that, you know, around, I, I feel like 
phase two will probably have a, a an adult novel from him because that'll be like more of the darker phase of things and i feel like he could really excel at that and again like the dude knows mm. star wars and he knows how to tell a story and so you know it just i guess i would say to people out there who maybe have not liked some of the stuff of a certain author or um maybe haven't been into uh, a certain type of of canon material like continue to check it out and continue to give it a shot because eventually things are going to click for you and uh when it does those things are going to hold a special place for you do you think that they'll introduce more authors into the high republic series as the different phases go on or are we going to stick with these five six people that we've already got i have no indication that they're going to go outside of these six people and i would say honestly it would be pretty hard to because i think so because Take into consideration, you know, Legends. You start Legends with a few authors, and then the more authors you get, the more convoluted and weird and odd and and overlaps and things that don't line up start to happen. And I think with the High Republic, they they already have a mapped out story that they want to tell that these five or six people have come up with. And once you start bringing in other people who maybe want to start changing the direction of that... Or, you know, just too many cooks in the kitchen, you start to get in trouble there where it becomes a little more convoluted and it it gets overdone. Whereas I think now they have this format where they're doing these, you know, releases of three books at a time, each one happening at the same basic time in the timeline, and they're going to go along that way. I think you just start adding in more people. It's like, more is not better, you know? Well, like you said, too, it's it's these few people having come together to create everything from the beginning. You know, that was always the big takeaway with all those big panels was they mapped out this world. They created everything. They, they brainstormed everything together. So I can't imagine them at this point giving that up to maybe if one more person comes in and they say, you know, here's the story, you can take this. But yeah, I don't think to your point, it's going to be a free agent type thing where everyone's just making their own stories. Yeah, I I think then you just, I mean, you get more convoluted and then you start to diminish the vision and, and either adding on things that are not necessary or just overdoing it. And I think that they're being very intentional now in, in terms of the High Republic, especially about not overplaying their hand. Like, I think we live in this world of consumption where it's always more and more and more and more and more. And which this is ironic because we just were talking about if visions, visions is good, we're going to want more things that are like visions. <laughs> but like, it's okay to not like to want more of something like as much as I want more like a sequel to Solo, I'm also like, it's kind of okay if we don't because it's a story that stands on its own really, really well. And it's okay to have some of the mystery. It's okay to have some of the mystery of, of what what happened when Kira went to go see Maul and stuff like that. Like part of that is what made Star Wars Star Wars. And so I don't think we necessarily even, I don't think it makes sense in any aspect to bring in other people as far as, uh, as far as the storytelling goes. All right. So that's my manifesto. And uh, now I need to <laughs> convince you guys why 
one particular group is the worst in Star Wars. So we're going to take a quick break and we will come right back after this. Do you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? No. I thought not. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. It's a Sith legend. Darth Plagueis was a dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side, he could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. He could actually save people from death. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. What happened to him? He became so powerful. The only thing he was afraid of was losing his power, which eventually, of course, he did. Unfortunately, he taught his apprentice everything he knew. Then his apprentice killed him. Okay. In his Today we are going to be asking the question of who is the evilest of them all. We are going to look at uh, different organizations in Star Wars and decide on and debate about which one is the evilest, which one caused the most destruction, which one caused the most pain, all that terribleness we're going to get into all of that so the way that we are going to do this is each of us has picked an organization and we are going to uh present our case for why they are the worst and then we're going to try to come to a conclusion by the end of this episode which is most definitely not going to happen but let's go anyways <laughs> yeah that's totally our style so uh drew since uh, you are covering the the one that started it all, I'm going to let you go first and tell us why the Empire is so damn terrible. Well, I feel like this is a gimme. Like, I was trying to see if there was a more interesting way to have the conversation and not address the Empire at all, because it seems like it's the number one without any kind of real argument. It's the first one we get. It never seems to go away, and it does have a tended tendency to blow up planets which is kind of crazy i mean they're space nazis so that's kind of hard to argue about against so i try to outline the the way i wanted to go about it was by outlining all the different organizations and governments that we have seen and whatnot and try and put it up against some kind of a point scoring system um you know me i love my charts so here are the kind of categories i was going to address and so the way i wanted to do it was to have everybody in there so i have the I guess what we call the Old Republic, this would be Chancellor Palpatine and prior chancellors, the Confederation of Independent Systems, the Sith, the Jedi, the Rebellion, the Empire, the New Republic, the First Order, and then other for, I guess, everybody else. So here are the categories. If we give people marks on a scale of one to five, one being the worst, five being the best, the categories I was looking at was the first, concern for the citizens' well-being, then reducing oppression and prejudices, then the support of freedoms, both public and private, then transparency and responsibility, and lastly, provision for basic securities, defense, food, water, that kind of thing. 
things you can't really live without in a, in, in a universe based on wars in the stars. So the Empire has the possibly the worst score out of all of them, which you would kind of expect. They have no concern for the well-being of their citizens. They uh, absolutely support oppression and prejudices, both within their governments and within their persons individually. There's no support of freedoms, neither public nor private. There is no transparency, no responsibility for actions, and there is virtually no provision for basic securities. They simply do not care about the people that they have. Uh, we can look at Bad Batch uh, for evidence. We can look at Rebels for evidence. We can look at six films. Well, we'll stick with three because I think somebody's going to fight me on the, the first order. But I think that the evidence is all pretty clear that as soon as the Empire came to power, it was pretty clear that this was not a good thing. And, and that was in light of the, the failing Republic and the, the ineffective uh, Confederacy system. So... I don't really know how anyone's going to top the Empire. I'd love to hear you guys try. Well, here's here's my thing of why I think the Empire is not the number one. Go ahead and def- go ahead and defend why the you think the Empire is a good is good. I'm not going to say that the Empire is good. I you think going, it's great. Wow, bold statement. I know. I'm really bringing it today. <laughs> the one thing that I I think Bad Batch is presenting, and it's been presented in um, like the Vader comics and, and different ancillary material like that, is the relief that came with the start of the Empire, and specifically the the very start of the Empire, where the galaxy had been at war for years. Uh, people had really been struggling, and this seemed like a new era of peace and possibility and and prosperity and unity uh when you know we can go to lost stars and see how uh the people of jellican welcomed in the empire um and things like that and when we look at the the scale of star wars and being able to look at it outside of the story uh itself and and seeing the full breadth of it we can obviously see that the the terribleness of the empire absolutely outweighed any uh relief that it may have brought even momentarily but I would say that that time, uh, when, when you look at things like the First Order or even uh, you know some of the crime syndicates and things like that, there was never even that point where it was like a sense of relief. Now, that eh. sense of relief is also more of a setup for getting people into the systems and you know uh, recruiting stormtroopers and things like that. But I. I think it is important to say that at a point, the citizens of the Empire did appreciate what it brought, even if they had misinterpreted what it was bringing. No, see, yeah, honestly, that, no, you know. see, because I was gonna, I was gonna say the exact same. Especially, I think Lost Stars is really the biggest kind of component of this. And even when we get into parts of Alphabet Squadron and things like that, like. There are reasons why people join the Empire. You know, First Order, yeah, they had to steal people, essentially, to join them. You know, and there's and there's less evidence of, and I'll certainly to defend my argument when, uh, when someone gets to the First Order, we'll um, backtrack on some of this a little bit. But, <laughs> but... Yeah, there's, there's so much more evidence for why people joined the empire than other organizations. And it's hard to say, even though it wasn't necessarily out of concern 
And even though it wasn't an altruistic, you know, organization or government, they still ended up doing some good and they still ended up helping some people. Mm. 30 minutes after the empire rose to power, we've got evidence of, of folks who are like, this is even worse than we thought. Any relief people would have felt with the rise of the empire would have been solely in response to the end of the clone wars themselves. That's it. Like you don't see the empire swooping in, bringing in education and, uh, aqueduct systems and things. You don't have the support installed installed at any step of the at any step of the way. People join up because it's what's next, and I understand that. And even in Lost Stars, which it's been a while since I've read that one, but they're taking advantage of what the Empire is bringing in order to get what they actually want. Is it's the characters that want to? F- I mean, think about Luke when we first meet him. He wants to join the Academy. Why? So he can fly, not so he can go serve the Emperor. But it, it, it's not but about does what they that bring negate, to people. Does that necessarily negate the good that it might do for that person? Like, yeah, bringing I, opportunity is still yeah. a good thing. Like, I think well, I think the empire well, gets diminished. I think the empire gets diminished because we look at people like Tarkin and Vader and you know Palpatine, the the top tier, the the Krennics and things like that, who were really you know, like terrible. And we assume that that was true for everyone, where I think there was a lot more people where, like you said, Drew, it was just what's next. It's a government job. It's stability. It's a pension. It's, you know, like it, it's providing those things where they don't. And, and this is not justifying, you know, what the Empire did, but those people are not looking at that part of the Empire. They're not committing those crimes. We do in the stories that we see have a ton of those terrible people because obviously that's a villain and you need those in the stories. But when you look at like the First Order or you look at the Sith, you know, those organizations didn't provide any of that for anyone. They just were destructive. And right. the Empire at that. least provided something for some people. I mean, in order to do that, you just have to sell them your soul. That's all it is. And you can look at the middle section of Lost Stars for that, when people had to start really questioning and abandoning ship once they watched the Death Star blow up Alderaan. Like, once they understood that the rot was a feature, not a bug, in the system of the Empire, then people realized what they had actually done and started to abandon ship. Like, there's no way around it. It was founded in evil. It created evil and it was nothing but evil through and through that filtered from the top all the way down to the rank and file stormtroopers you 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 mentioned vader tarkin and krennic as kind of your this was the guys at the top but surely there's people in the middle that were good well we have governors and captains and everybody all the way through down to just you know the guys working the mess hall who were a part of it and you know cruelty was the point that was how the system functioned was by keeping people under the thumb the whole idea of the tarkin doctrine was if you keep them in line they'll never get out of line and the way you keep them in line is by continually pruning off the off pruning the offshoots like that's how it worked so i i don't know how you spin it like to say it may be terrible but we got really good wi-fi reception i mean like the trade-off there is unquestionable no i'm i I don't i don't think you're wrong there at all but i do think in your analogy you know you you do have wi-fi reception like <laughs> it's it's a terrible thing but never mind also... stepping over the bodies of these children check out my cool website no 
okay. But like, I get what you're. I get your point. But like, it's also, a very difficult argument to try and sustain, and like, it's not it, an, it is. Enviable, an enviable. It's a losing position. argument. It's like I'm going to lose I, this argument no matter what. But just exactly. playing devil's advocate. Because here's a, neither Brandon or I are arguing that the empire was good, right? right? We're just saying it wasn't the worst. So maybe would it be would it be more helpful if I think you got kind of. Yeah, what do, I feel like Brendan and I need to defend or at least explain why we picked ours, and then yes. we can kind of decide what's worse. Because right now it's coming off as me and B are like, no, the Empire's good. <laughs> like, like, we're not no, saying no, that. We're just saying that, that, yeah, the, the Sith and the First Order were worse. This is, yeah, this is where I'm, I'm <laughs> going to sit back and be interested for a minute because I, I was like, the First Order, that's. A, you volunteered to take it before Lindsay and I had to like be like, let me look at the evidence first and figure out which I think is the most evil. And you're like, ooh, ooh first order me. So no, I, <laughs> here's here's why they are the most vile and terrible organization in Star Wars because of their utter lack of concern for humanity, individuality, uh, and the well being of everyone, including the individuals who constitute it. I think. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, Empire is terrible, but that terribleness was not as upfront and brutal as the First Order. The Empire did, for a very small span of time, create some stability for some sectors of the galaxy where the First Order literally does nothing but consume, consume, and destroy. Uh, they are looking through the sequel trilogy and thinking back to some of the novels that we had, I think the three elements that really uh, are identifiable with the first order are just their utter brute force. Uh, their taking away of individuality and identity primarily, uh, you know, by taking children from their home and the fact that they are uh, the people who constitute it are absolute zealots. So going to, the brute force. Like we start with, start off uh, Force Awakens right away. The stormtroopers come out of the ship firing at the villagers. They're told to kill all the villagers. Uh, Starkiller base blows up an entire system. Uh, later in the trilogy, we get star destroyers uh, are uh, using Death Star tech to blow up planets. Um, when we go back to the Force Awakens, hmm. it's really interesting to hear when, when Maz is confronting Finn about his fear of running away. He doesn't just say, they'll get us, they'll capture us, they'll kill us, they'll slaughter us. He says, they'll slaughter us. Uh, Hux says, this fierce machi machine which you have built upon which we stand, implying that the, the stormtroopers, the everyday person of uh, the Empire, or excuse me, of the First Order, was willing to create Starkiller Base, whereas we know from books like Catalyst, a lot of the um, Death Star was built uh, by the hands of Geonosians and people that weren't necessarily a part of the Empire. Um, you also have other statements from things uh, from, you know, like Kylo Ren saying, prepare to crush any worlds that defy us. Um, you have more instances of brute force, uh, you know, alluded to through like Janna in... Uh, Rise of Skywalker and, and being told to fire on civilians and things like that. So whereas I think the Empire, um, they would take and they, you know, they definitely, they did kill and things like that. They tried to make it look like or, or at least get people out in a way that wasn't as messy. It wasn't just like, 
you're in my way, I'm going to kill you, except for, you know, the, the big ones like Vader and things like that. Whereas <laughs> the, the rank and file of the First Order is I'm just going to kill you. So then you look at taking away the individuality and identity. Um, like I said, of course, you have the taking children from their homes to turn them into stormtroopers. Uh, Phasma even mentions reconditioning, um, which goes along with uh, Cardinal in uh, the Phasma novel and the propaganda tapes that he listens to while he's sleeping, like literally hypnotizing him. Um and of course, Finn says, like all of them, I was taken from a family I'll never know and raised to do one thing, alluding to to killing. Uh, we can look at things like uh, Star Wars Resistance, which mentions a brain scrape. So basically like wiping their memory to recondition them. Uh, and, and even one that I found uh, really interesting, one of the uh, generals or, or officers who is in um, the meeting with Kylo Ren in Rise of Skywalker when he puts Bulio's head on the table. She doesn't say, like, we need to get more soldiers or anything. We need to harvest more of the galaxy's young. So she's literally looking at these living beings as as something that you harvest, which is, to me is just... The, even Bad Batch is saying recruit, you know, bringing in recruits, whereas, you know, they're saying harvest. And then I think the thing that sets it over the top is the fact that they the the people who are a part of the first order are zealots from the remnants of the empire from the worst of the empire that went into the unknown regions for years to uh to build and and they've been slowly building despite the sanctions and regulations um and and they get these kids while they are young so they are able to regulate their their views and beliefs. It's very cult-like. And when you look at the timeline, the Empire was around for approximately 19 years before you get to A New Hope. So that means you have one generation that was born and growing up in the Empire, uh, and they grew into adults in the Empire. Whereas the First Order from Return of the Jedi to... Uh, Force Awakens, you have 30 years, uh, which you're taking people already from the Empire, uh, children who were already, you know, like Hux, uh, you know, his dad was already a part of the Empire, he was already a part of the Empire, bringing them in, you're almost doubling the amount of, of generations that you have raised in those beliefs, and that's a whole lot scarier. Um, and, I, and then I think something that really gets ignored is... And this is going to sound counterintuitive, but they are, they're cowards and they know they're vulnerable. Um, and those two things make them desperate. Uh, you see in Force Awakens, Snoke is very adamant about finding uh, Skywalker because he knows that, you know, Luke is, is the one that could take this whole thing down. Um, knowing that vulnerability makes them desperate enough to blow up an entire system. And, and cowards lack of code the the first order doesn't care about anything like tarkin at least st he stood for something he had his beliefs and he stood by them he died for them and he died for the wrong reason um and and his code was not a good one but at the end of the day he stood for something and believed in something whereas you know star killer base starts blowing up and hux is already gone um and and I would like to add on just as as a closing that I am counting the the <laughs> Sith fleet and the Final Order as part of the First Order because I think Rise of Skywalker does set them up as two parts of the 
the same hole as far as Palpatine's contingency, um, with the first order being step one and the final order being step two. Um, and, and you have the largest fleet the galaxy has ever known, is what Poe what, what, uh, po calls it. Um, and they've been building it for years. And, and to do that silently, just waiting away and waiting away and waiting away, like that's a very Palpatine thing. Like Palpatine literally did that in his destruction of the Jedi and the Republic, which is, you know, he is the pinnacle of what an evil being is in the star Wars galaxy and really in storytelling overall. Um, and so if we're going to equate that, you know, Palpatine, if we're going to accept him sitting back and waiting and manipulating things for years as the most evil than an, an organization that does the exact same thing, led by the exact same man should be considered under the same uh, rules. Hmm. I, I, I bump against keeping the final order in the first order because by transitive properties, both of those two things should be sub portions of the empire itself. The first order didn't end in order to bring in the final order. The empire I mean, ended didn't it, though. No, it didn't. They they meshed could together. You, could you have it without Could one you have ending. the first order without the final order? Could you have the final order without the first order? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's it's a very confusing point, I'll it be is. honest. And the, it's not The great. movie doesn't do... Rise of Skywalker does not do a good job of differentiating and, and showing where one ends and the other begins. And I Nor think the Sith Empire, because all those sto- red stormtroopers are described as Sith troopers. And it's like, well, now wait a minute. What are we talking about here? It appears that they are one in the same. Like... Palpatine set up Snoke in the First Order to be, you know, Oz, and the Sith fleet is the man behind the curtain. See, I don't the 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 reason I'm not wild about the First Order as as the worst of the worst is because of how little they're actually on the scene and causing problems. Like the Empire installed its regimes, you know, from the day from day one, it was the same kind of homogenous, xenophobic. You know, oppressive force through and through. I mean, it's like they all had the manual ready to go as soon as the Clone Wars were done, and they just, you know, blast email to everybody in the organization that day. The fu- the First Order was the remnants of the Empire in hiding for, Brandon, you said 30 years, but I think it's closer to 24 if we think about the timeline, which isn't a huge difference, don't get me wrong. But the Empire isn't destroyed at the Battle of Endor, and we never hear from it again. It exists still in you know, sp- you know, tiny little sectors here and there, and, and it slowly falls away. The First Order just appears on the scene one day, and I, isn't the destruction of Hosnian Prime like the first announcement of the First Order to the rest of the galaxy? I can't remember in Bloodline. Bloodline, Leia knows about them. Like, they've heard rumblings, but everybody dismisses them as kind of like the JV team. Like, they're never really taken seriously until the destruction of Hosnian Prime. Yeah, but that's why I would argue, I would argue that that helps Brandon's point. Like, to, to jump on the scene that way, because it's one thing for the Empire to at least pretend to be good, right? And it's one thing for the Empire to pretend to give Wi-Fi to all all these areas but for you to just jump onto the scene and just be like hey we're not really here to help at all but we're here 
and you're gonna you're gonna deal with it. Like no. I would say that does make them more evil. No, I would think the insidious nature of deception is worse. Uh, if we're gonna compare the two, like authenticity can be faked, but integrity cannot be. And here's what I mean by that: like the empire comes on the scene in the in the in a blaze of glory as an attempt to be the salvation for the galaxy. You know, I, I restored peace in order to my new empire, whatever it is that Vader says on Mustafar. I'm not really sure. Palpatine goes on live TV and basically gives his inaugural address as I have ended the clone wars and I have been on the front lines as I've been attacked by the Jedi. It's like, okay, not really. No. And so the deceptive nature of the empire is an attempt to hide all of those darker, more insidious elements. <laughs> insidious. Whereas the First Order comes in guns ablazing, like without any indication that it's there for people's benefit. It's there kind of... Is it, is it, the First Order is basically there as a, in a, as a response to the New Republic's government, and its sole objective is the destruction of the New Republic. Not unlike the rebellion's rise. The rebellion rise as a direct response to the Empire's tyranny and cruelty and has one goal in mind, the removal of that government entity. No, 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 because the First Order very clearly wants to rule the galaxy. Uh, uh, At what point is that made clear? It's made clear in... Last Jedi. It's made clear in their... Yeah, I'd say it's a pretty clear Skywalker. point. Like, okay. it's, it's I'm very discounting so much of Rise of Skywalker. Sorry, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll You're find no credible arguments in that one from me. <laughs> like, I, think, I, did, I did not expect to, my friend. Okay, even if we you. look at... Even if we look at, like... We could even just, you know, simplify it to math. And, like, okay, the Death Star blew up part of Jeddah, part of Scarif, and Alderaan. Don't Literally, say it. there was that death toll through just the first shot of Starkiller Base. Oh, then you Christ. go and you have Kajimi uh, that gets blown up in Rise of Skywalker. Like, they're just utter... Like, I get what you're saying about the deception and things like that, and that... I think that that could be... Uh, more treacherous. I think it could be even more dangerous. But when we're talking about pure evil, just the f- the fact that the First Order doesn't even try to pretend that it cares about anything, that it doesn't even try to have integrity. Like, there are people, and, and I think, you know, you can go to Rebels and look at people like Wedge. You can look at people like Sabine, who thought they were doing something good, uh... That is not at, that's not really present in the first order. The only time we really get that is maybe with Cardinal, but even that is more of a I appreciate what they did for me and getting me off of the planet. Uh, you know, I can't remember where he's from, but basically he was orphaned on a, a planet, and you know they gave me food and shelter, whereas you know Sabine and and characters like that who joined the empire were going in there because they thought the through the empire they could do something good you know and that that has to hold like the fact that people can join the empire with that belief they're not joining the first order with that belief of i can do something good that to me makes the first order more dangerous because it's it's nothing but consumption 
I, I think I, I agree with of- Brandon when it comes to the to between First Order and Empire. I would say the First Order is more evil. Maybe we should need to do a better. We might have to do a better definition of our terms then, because to me, when the Empire destroys Alderaan, even though the death toll in that event is not nearly as high as the Hosnian system. Which, by the way, if you Google, they have estimated populations for both of those events, which is kind of fascinating. Um, Alderaan was a member of the Empire. It had a seat in the Senate. It was one of their own, and they went and blew it up on a, on, on a scare tactic. The Hosnian system was the capital of the enemy to the First Order. So if, if the First Order thinks it is in a legitimately declared war, if it has Cassius Belli, then... It's doing exactly what you would do. But the Empire is basically, if we put it in Earth terms, it's, you know, it's Washington, D.C. launching nukes at Texas. Sorry, Brandon. No, I mean, if it's it's going to happen somewhere, it's going to (laughs) happen. It's going to be you guys. I mean, my bad. But no, like, my point is that it's one of their own. It's from within that it is so callous and reckless in its destruction of, of sentient life. So the death toll is catastrophic, <laughs> which it's not, but that's a different story. But I mean, I'm looking at, okay, both systems, both entities, both organizations have no regard for life, clearly, right? So to me, the next, so they, they, they both get checks in that particular category. Looking at their intents, though, in, in the way in which they consider tactics and whatnot, I find the Empire to be much more despicable because of its willingness to carve out its own body, whereas the First Order seems much more mm, clear-cut in its, its sense of attack. It's, it's not storming its own planets. It's not taking, you know, it's, it's, it's capturing... It's enemies. It's attacking those that it's seeking to destroy. It's executing on its goal. Whereas the Empire is just kind of like, doesn't matter who you are, whether you belong to us or not, your life means nothing to me. Well, I think we, I mean, we don't get it on the scale of Alderaan. Um, I definitely see your point there. But with General Pride shooting Hux just without trial, without anything, um, I mean, I think points to to that fact that they're willing to just and Phasma attempts. I mean, she thinks she kills Cardinal in the Phasma novel. Like anybody who is not doing what they need to be doing in there is like they're getting killed on the spot too. There's no due yeah, process or anything that? of that nature. I, I, mean, I mean, Vader's method of promotion was executing the guy ahead of you in line. So I mean, that's an established playbook. No, I, I I agree with you there. I'm just saying it that idea is present in some way in the First Order as well. All right, all right. I'll hop into mine. I picked the Sith, right? Yeah. And they are... I would say they have all these elements that larger organizations like the Empire and the First Order are missing. All right, number one... They are in it just for the sake of power, right? There's no ulterior motive. There's no deception. It's just they want power for themselves. And there's really no other rhyme or reason behind what they do. And then furthermore, there's a level of exclusivity, right? It's not like they can say, hey, we want this power and we want to share it. 
we want this power. And hey, if you come help us, you can maybe tap into that power. You can start as, you know, being that farmer on Tatooine and wanting to join the Academy just to get off the planet and then work your way up to be Tarkin, you know, or the next Tarkin, the next Krennic. And if you do good, if you do what we ask, you'll also get this power. You'll also be able to share in this. Same way Cardinal did, same way Phasma did. Yeah, it was brutal, but they got to share in the power if they joined. The Sith don't even give you that. They are just there to dominate for themselves, and they're not going to share it with anyone, even if they do help them. And then uh, there's there's just the... Oh, I don't even know what the real words I'm looking for are, but there's a level of intimacy. I guess. Yeah, intimacy, I think, is the word that I want to use, with which they act that is missing in the Empire in the First Order that makes them even more ruthless. You know, there is this element where they're okay bringing people all the way in and turning on them. So, Drew, you gave the example of with the Empire, it would be like if Washington, D.C. turned on Texas and just nuked them. Take that a few levels further and say, you know what, we're not even looking at this this mass murder. We're not looking at this warfare. It's almost like I, I hate how often I make these connections um, because this is a family-friendly Star Wars show. But it's like dealing with a serial killer almost. You know, there's this level of intimacy in their crimes where they can look these people in the eye. They know these people. They're going to work with these people for their entire lives and just screw them over. You know, they are going to bring people in and get them to trust them and just stab them in the back however many times it takes for them to get what they want. And it's all of these elements that I would say make the Sith so much more evil than a large-scale organization. Hmm. But uh, see, okay, so first of all, the power argument, I think that that holds, the argument that you made for they just want power and nothing else, I think that holds for the First Order also. Um, but if you're saying that you you personally are okay having the First Order and the Final Order be one, I mean, the Final Order is essentially just the Seth. Mm, I, I I agree. I would also like to ask for more information about what organization the Sith have because they have a Sith Empire for about 15 minutes from what I can tell. But I would say it's it's like a secret secret society, right? Like they're there, they exist. They don't need to be on posters, but they're still going to kind of run the show to the point where they branch off into the final order. They branch off into the acolytes of the beyond, but no one's really ever going to step into their ranks, but they're still there. It's still an organization, even if it is, you know, two people at a time. So the Sith or the Illuminati is what you're saying. Essentially, that is, is, but but the, the scope of their impact, I mean, is nothing by comparison to these other things that we're talking about. I mean, the Empire is galaxy-wide. The First Order has clearly a large, you know, back catalog of systems from which to pull resources and, and influence and whatnot. The Sith in their hate, well, not in their heyday, but for, for generations have been two guys, except for that one time there were three of them. Who still managed to run pretty 
much everything, you know, I mean, when, when Sidious was still Palpatine and when he was still a Senator, he still had massive, massive reach and massive, massive influence. But did he have that because he was a Sith? Yes. Mm, See, I would, I would argue he had that and he was a Sith. Like, I don't think he... No, because my understanding of the Sith, and I know that we wanted to keep all of this canon, um, but because we don't have anything to contradict it, and from what we can tell in the few, 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 few mentions we get of them in the High Republic, it was this way, where once the Padawan killed the Master, it's not like they necessarily started over. You know, everything's still being passed down. So it's not like Palpatine would have had this massive head start had he not been a Sith. You know, he had to be a Sith, and then he's able to just carry the ball 10 yards further. Hmm. Interesting. See, but I think that that could have come without him being a Sith still. Like, I think that... If Palpatine hadn't been a, if Palpatine hadn't been a Sith, I still think he could have risen to power. No, he would have had to have been a Sith. There's no way you can start, you know, as as a human, right? If if this were, you know, a Wookiee and they're living hundreds of years, or or Yoda species and they're living possibly thousands of years, you know, the then maybe he could have. But for him to be, you know, a middle aged man. There's no way he has the expanse and the resources that he acquired naturally mm, um, without point. without the organization of a Sith. Yeah, if we're to believe all the machinations that Palpatine puts into place were all part of the grand design and were f- their current conclusions all foreseen as he claims to have foreseen, then that's superhuman and isn't something that, like like Lindsay is saying, you or I could be able to come up with. On our best day. I hate making this I mean, analogy because I think it, it, <laughs> I think it gets overused, but I mean, you have to look at Hitler and Nazi Germany. Like the, he rose to power in a similar fashion that Palpatine did where it was slow over time. And then one day he is just a dictator. Like, I think, with the story that we have, yes, Palpatine had to have the Sith. But what I'm saying is there is the possibility of another story where he doesn't have to be. If if the chip the chips could have fallen a little differently and he could have done the same thing without being a Sith. It wouldn't have maybe been as efficient. It maybe wouldn't have been in the same fashion, uh, using the same steps that we see, but I think we have the historical evidence to show that that's a possibility. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure what you're arguing. I'm arguing, like, we have dictators who have risen to power, and they started off in the same way as, uh, you know, Palpatine stepping in as this, you know, nice, every, I'm going to make everything better kind of leader, and then they get to unlimited power and show their true colors. And... I mean, when we're looking at this world, we're not looking at people who are Sith or people who are Force users. These are just human beings who did a similar thing in their rise to power that Palpatine did. So I think that that shows that Palpatine could have done something similar to what he did without being a Sith. Maybe not 
into the sequel trilogy and stuff like that, but just looking at the fall of the Republic and, and its transition into the Empire, I think the unrest and the bureaucracy and the dysfunction of the Republic at the time Palpatine came around made it possible more than him becoming being a Sith. Uh, I, th- I think your analogy only stretches so far. If we're t- looking at real-world examples, that particular rise you're talking about is more of a capitalizing on a series of events that have occurred 30, 50 years prior. Like, e- e- there's a lot more than just somebody woke up one day and decided to be the most terrible human being in but, history. But that's, but and, that's what but, I'm saying. Like, it, it's, that still holds Pal- with Palpatine. No, I think what he's doing is he is causing the events that catapult him into the moment by which yeah. he sees ultimate control. It's as if you, you take everything that happened from 1870 to 1945 and you squish it down and make it all of it, 100% of it, one person's idea that he puts into effect and, and catapults into execution within the span of five years. Like... If we're looking at the events surrounding the Phantom Menace as kind of like, you know, the fall of the, the Republic there, he had been working prior to that. Because I, I think we alluded to the Plagueis novel, if that's what we're all talking about when we're talking about legends we don't want to yeah. bring in at the moment. Okay, good. <laughs> there are some things I'm okay naming, naming right off the bat. Like, he had been in training for that since he was right. a child. And he had started his plans like so many years, even before the movie starts, and it, it, and he is the sole, you know, the the unmoved mover essentially in in that particular historical context. He is the one that orchestrates all of those things to go horribly, horribly wrong, puts his public persona back on, and then presents himself as the one who can fix it. Like, and dude, not even just that, but I think that there's, I think we're getting a little off the rails here because. I'm not saying Palpatine is the most evil organization, yeah. right? It's just he was, he's the last one we had. And, and in the end, he's saying he's all of them wrapped into one. I'm saying it's, oh. it's the Sith. It's what they stand for. It's the way that they do it. You know, Drew, you made the point that you think the Empire is more evil because of the deception, right? To you, it's, it's putting on the face that we're going to help people and then turning around it, right. So, and and the Sith absolutely rely on deception, whether it's canon or or legends. You know, we've always seen that the the Sith are going to lie to people right to their face. They're not going to stand up every time in front of a big crowd and say, "Hey, we're here to help." But they're going to find those individuals and they're going to exploit them, and that's a level of deception for sure. Yeah, but I, I think the counter to that is the length of time by which they've had to operate and had yet not had that level of efficiency. Like if again, if the timelines and the dialogue of the movies are to be trusted for their words, the Sith had been extinct, extinct for a millennia, which means no one had seen them forever for a thousand years. Yet we know that they had existed for that entire time. So even if we presume there was a time prior to their extinction by which they were, you know, gallivanting across the galaxy doing their thing, there's a thousand years they're in hiding and living under the presumed rule of two. Then they become publicly aware again um, in Darth Maul, disappear for a few years, show up under Darth Tyrannus, and then suddenly Palpatine flips a switch, and now the, the Sith are... Well, he, he's still not publicly a Sith. So the, the span of time by which they exist and yet 
do not do much, that thousand years of supposed extinction. I mean, when we compare that to, even if you compare that to how long the First Order had been around and on the scene and active, the First Order is going to have a much more dramatic effect on the existence of the galaxy than that thousand years of silence. So are they sneaky? Are they devious? Yes. Are they deceitful and untrustworthy? Of course. Are they murderous, soulless fools? Yeah, sure. Why not? But they don't do anything for a long, long time. And if they meet all the same criteria as the First Order or the Empire, as we've seen that they do since one leads to the other, I mean, that thousand-year hiatus is a big knock against them, in my particular book. What's interesting here is kind of how we're all defining evil differently. Like, Lindsay's is more about the morality of it. Drew's, yours is more about the truthfulness and the long-term effects, and mine is more about the brutality and the the fervor with which the people approach uh, the organization. So, like... While, I mean, yes, we're arguing, like, which one is the worst. Yeah, we're also, it reveals like, more about us than it does anything else, I think. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but, no, but I also think, like, it, it adds a good conversation about the fact that, like, evil, you know, it does take many forms. Maz mentions it in uh, Force Awakens. You know, I've seen the dark side take many forms and she says the sith the empire now the first order like she says those three um so like it it, de- it definitely is one where they're all connected and that's i think honestly that's a thing in my favor because the sith and then the empire and then it led to the first order it just gets worse chronologically doesn't mean anything i'm with Lindsay on that one yeah hey to the victor go the spoils, and they were the last no, ones there, so they're the victors. That's not what that means. Oh, is it not? Mm, not quite. Not quite. Besides, it was all the Sith at the end of the movie, so it's not. Also, what I think the resistance are the victors at the end of it. No, I was saying like by the end of the Rise of Skywalker, the First no. Order and the Final Order are not even mentioned. They he, were the Sith. Fighting so all the Sith. That's true. By following Brandon's logic, I still win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the circle is now complete. I guess. Uh, <laughs> I like this game. No, it's an in- it's an interesting debate to have because, like, again, I think there are so many. It's like one of the things, you know, going back to our conversation about the High Republic, one of the things that I like about the High Republic so much is how we're getting these different ideas of what a Jedi can be. Like, there's all these definitions of a hero, you know? If, if you go to different parts of the world there's different you know understandings of what makes a hero if you go to different even different states within our country there's different understandings of what a hero is and the same you know kind of for what is good and what's evil and and or uh, you know what makes something bad like there's there's the the given definitions which we've all touched upon of like not caring about others and uh you know creating destruction and things like that but when you get to more of the nuance of what makes something one thing worse than another like it's a lot of it comes from perspective and personal experience and things like that like if you have somebody who has been hurt by an individual more than an organization, then they're going to, you know, see individuals and and probably be more along the lines of Lindsay of seeing the Sith. Whereas if you have somebody who's been hurt by organizations, then it's probably going to be Empire First Order that you're looking at. You know, like it's an interesting um, look at the psychology as much as, you know, who we look to as a hero, who we look to as the bad guys and the worst of the worst is an interesting look at our, our own psychology, I think. Hmm. Yep. 
All right, so have we all agreed that I won? Well, I guess we're going to keep recording for an hour and a half because Brandon clearly doesn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought thought we all agreed that that's how it was going to go. Is that not... Uh, not quite. Maybe I need to get new headphones. I don't know. But no, you you do make really good points about it being a little more introspective than anything else. Yeah. And again, like, I think that's part of, of what our podcast tries to bring is just presenting the different perspectives and comparing them to each other and, and debating about, you know, what's what. But at the end of the day, these are big mythological, philosophical, psychological debates and arguments that you know people have been arguing since the beginning of time and and we're never going to get an answer because the answer for everyone is a little bit different so it's a fun conversation to have so now let me ask this would either of you whether no. it's you know no, one I the other two has... in the first order <laughs> would either of you after having this conversation would either of you change your pick to either one that the other two had or something that wasn't mentioned until this point? Lindsay, would you change yours based on... I wouldn't change it, but but I will say that when we were kind of throwing the idea for this topic around, I was leaning towards picking the first order. You called dibs on it because you are so much more prepared than Drew or myself. (laughs) Um... No, so no, so I'm, I'm happy that, you went. Okay. <laughs> you and I, we were like, we'll be like Friday morning. And B was like a week out. He's like, Dibs, this is mine. Um, <laughs> call your shot, man. But, but no, it was, and it, and it was a good shot to call. Um, so I, I think you made a great choice, and I think you defended it really well, as, as you defended yours, Drew, as always. Um, but no, I think, I'm, I think I would stick to the Sith, but like you said, it, it shows a lot about our own personality and our, our own judgments. Drew, what about you? I think y'all are crazy. Like, okay, that's fair. I mean, we, we, we went to the most evil. That's it. Hi, ho. The most evil entity we've seen in human history here on our tiny little blue planet. It was kind of like our, our, our baseline and the empire is literally designed off of that. Like I, <laughs> everything else is kind of like a subset of that to me. Like that was the benchmark. And I think it remains like, sorry, but no, I, I remain unchanged. That's fair. I, I think, I think the Sith are higher than they were for me at the start of the conversation, but I still have a little bit of trouble with the fact that most of the things that Lindsay brought up all happened through Palpatine, so it's more of an individual than an organization. Um, yeah, I, I tripped I over it, that to begin at the beginning too. Like I was looking at organizational structure because I think that's how we originally discussed it. Like, what is the, no, but you know, that's a, that's like, the problem though. Is I would argue that it's it's just tough because we have mentions now at least of other Sith, mm-hmm. and we kind of understand what was going on in the old republic you know the 800 years before the high republic and things like that (laughs) um but it's it's more that palpatine was kind of the culmination but everything he did the sith were doing palpatine was the personification i guess but everything everything he did is what the sith were supposed to do and that's that's why it was evil right and i i think i agree with that more than i did at at the beginning yeah 
I think he swooped into a, a band of, you know, <laughs> this is going to be bad, but like uh, he swooped into wait. a motorcycle gang and turned them into an international terrorist force kind of thing to me. I'd because... watch that Netflix series. <laughs> it's like a reverse Fast TM, and Furious. TM, TM, TM. It's a reverse Fast and Furious. Oh my and gosh, Brandon, you're a terrible human being and you say terrible things. You're not oh, wrong. dear. It's actually, I, I have my gravestone ready. It's going to say that. <laughs> I've, om- like, I've almost caught up on those dumb movies. I finished the seventh one and like, guys, they're so dumb. I've, I can't imagine after part seven, it gets any dumber. But Brandon was like, no, 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 no. Watch part eight. It gets dumber. I was like, oh, no. Watch part eight. This to oh, you haven't seen part nine. Oh. No, I've seen the imp- impact it's had on the internet. <laughs> Guys, if you have not gone and looked at the Fast and Furious Star Wars memes, please go do that right after you finish uh, this <laughs> it'll, episode. It'll make you smile. That's it sure. certainly you might will. Might cry too, but oh man! Oh, my All right, so gracious. share with us who you think the worst of the worst is, whether that is uh, Palpatine and the Sith, or the First Order of the Empire, or anybody else. You can do that. Uh, through our email, clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com or on Twitter at clashingsabers. And of course, we have our Instagram under the same handle, and our Facebook group is Star Wars Clashing Sabers. So make sure you are linked into all of those, and those are available in our show notes along with our Patreon link. Uh, Lindsay, tell them what's up. What are you doing? So I will give a shameless uh, self plug that we kind of mentioned earlier in the episode, but really where you can find me in the upcoming future is going to be over on one of our other shows um, on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. And I know I don't normally plug that here, but I really wanted to just because, like I had mentioned, there's so many great stories coming out and so many good books that B and I have been diving into, and I'm just really excited to talk about those. Um, So if you want to hear kind of our thoughts specifically on Rising Storm, on Out of the Shadows, on Crash Point Towers, check out our other show on this network. Um, as long as you subscribe, it'll show up in whatever feed you have, but check out don't burn the sacred text. And then you can always find me over in our Facebook group. And drew, what do you got going on right now? Don't call me Andrew. Um, (laughs) (laughs) nice. Got that. (laughs) Yep. I love it. I, I, hopefully you can find me on the un, un, as of now, not yet dated, uh, clashing sabers trivia tournament. Uh, that I keep being promised, but haven't heard anything about in a while, Brandon. Um, wow, the shame. I think it's, being... it's not fair that I come up with all the awesome games, but don't get to play anything. Just saying. By the um, way, I have a game ready for next next time. So no. just... <laughs> Sweet Jesus. In the words of Scar, be prepared. Can we ever? I really don't think so. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So, Trivia Tournament coming soon to a Aha! podcast near you. Uh, it worked. Success. I, I mean, soon is a relative term. Um, yeah, but- a long enough timeline. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can find that here. And like Lindsay mentioned, if you subscribe, you will get all of our stuff. And you will get to hear us say at the end of every episode the most important lesson in Star Wars, which is Batch 8. Hi-ho. Hi-ho. That was pretty good. Not too bad. Just bad enough. Just bad enough, yeah. <laughs> bad enough to still be us. 
<laughs> Staying on brand. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.